Welcome to the Living Out Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Steele, and I help LGBTQ people use their difference to make a difference in the world through critical self-reflection, personal responsibility, and intelligent leadership. I'm a coach, a deep thinker, and the creator and editor of Think Queerly on Medium. You can find out everything about me and how we can work together on DarrenSteele.com. In today's episode, I want to talk about the problem of LGBTQ division and and eating our own. Sometimes we see this as a, a larger community, sometimes at pride events where everybody is coming together, wanting to have their voice heard, wanting their opinion to be honored and recognized. And sometimes it's within a specific group itself. Trans people fighting amongst themselves, gay men fighting amongst themselves. Uh, You know, there's the classic trope of bitchy gay men basically eating each other alive in the sense of, you know, uh, being so polite and friendly on the one hand, and as soon as a person leaves being completely bitchy behind their back. And there's lots of reasons for this on the purely emotional. It's maybe not knowing yourself well enough, not having enough critical self-examination to recognize that you, as a gay man, for example, might be still suffering the almost PTSD-like effects of shame, of having been in the closet, of having been told for so long that you're not worthwhile, that you're wrong, you're a sinner, that you deserve less than existence in humanity. And the same is true in, in different ways and variations for anyone within the LGBTQ spectrum and within the politics of leadership and humanity and trying to make the world a better place and reduce prejudice, we often have conflicting needs, but maybe not conflicting values. So let me tell you a story. When I was at Carleton University in Ottawa, I remember helping establish the very first Queer Nation chapter. And I think the information was coming through in some of the general news, but more in the uh, gay newspaper. I think it was Go Ottawa, G-O, Gays of Ottawa. And I think it was during my second year of university in 1989, although I'm not 100% sure on the exact dates. It's a long time ago. And the experience itself was rather short-lived. I didn't have the skill sets to be media savvy, to stand up in front of a group to lead. Um, I still needed help. I I still needed a lot of following experience. But I had a good friend who at that time, he was really outspoken. He was media savvy. He loved being in front of the camera. And I said, you know, could you be president of the chapter as long as maybe I take on the majority of the work in the background and the organizing and the phone calls and all that? So I remember that besides one or two protests that we organized in Ottawa, all I really remember was the complete discord and divisiveness that happened at the meetings, sitting in chairs, like a a round of chairs, a circle of chairs, and one particular meeting that turned into a heated shouting match of queer rage, which was exactly what was happening at that time. You know, Queer Nation was an offshoot of ACT UP, 
in New York, and it was just a group of people, again, within a group that felt like their particular needs weren't being met. So here's gays and bisexuals and lesbians and trans people and whoever else was present, everyone wanting their singular voice to be heard above the din of shared anger, shared anger, frustration, and oppression, and an obvious lack of clearly defined leadership. And I look back and I think my friend was good as um, a face to put on the organization, but he didn't have the requisite skills either at that time to be able to drill down and find a way of not so much calming people down, but trying to create connection. So as I said, that that, that time is definitely not a leader. Um, and in that particular environment, my behavioral response was to go right on the defensive. And I, you know, anger begets anger in, in most of us. And it, it was a red line or hairline trigger for me. And in many ways, it still is. Some of us, I admire people like this, are so much better at being able to maintain composure in the phase in the face of anger or, or, or disruption, somebody shouting at you or calling you names or just a heated argument. And what I felt in that group of queer nation individuals was the collective anger that each person had. But everyone chose to see it as, as their own. And the core of the anger was universal within that group. But no one could come to agreement. No one could see that the anger was pretty much coming from the same place and maybe the same reasons, the same triggers. Many of us, myself included, got swept away in this shared rage, and I witnessed how powerful a group energy dynamic could be and how when you are present in a group of angry, shouting, seemingly disparate people, the energy, the negative energy affects everyone. It's exhausting. Now, I think there were a third and maybe fourth meetings of Queer Nation, but I don't remember. I simply stopped going. I couldn't. I decided that I can't deal with this. So I went deeper into my research at Renus University and as far away from political LGBTQ group dynamics as I could, I felt a complete lack of control which I now observe as a lack of self-awareness and an inability to lead with influence because I didn't know what that was at the time. So it begs the question in my thinking about leadership between leadership itself and influence and how does leadership or how do leadership and influence work together in a positive way? Their affect must be consciously motivated on the part of the person who is following or taking inspiration from someone who is in a leadership capacity. Otherwise, we witness the negative outcomes of autocracy and power when leadership goes wrong, and that becomes recruitment and persuasion. These ultimate negative outcomes are what lead us back to the original question of this series I'm asking, what is a queer leadership or how do we lead queerly? When leadership and influence go wrong, 
often we tend to move towards this so-called hyper-masculine energy of force, power, control, and self-centeredness. But how can we use and live out our, our queer gifts, our insights to find a way to better balance these so-called masculine and feminine energies? How can we prepare ourselves to lead in a different capacity when the situation becomes challenging. And when leadership morphs into the worst examples of dominance and power, which is most often the patriarchy and male dominance, and we see these in Vladimir Putin, Donald Trump, Kim Jong-un, primarily male evangelical pastors, This is a seeking of absolute power that becomes self-perpetuating. Once these individuals have this power, they crave it. The ego needs it. It is like air. And it completely, at least by all appearances, seems to eliminate all ethical, empathetic thinking. If the supreme leader takes over, he dictates orders and decrees and individual expression is limited or these leaders seek to control it because non-variance from the status quo requires enforcement. The freedom to express the other becomes more and more suppressed. There is no gap to exist within the boundaries and no bridges to cross. There's only a rigidly enforced binary. There's no space. It's either right or wrong, good or bad, believing or supporting in me or against me. The energy becomes toxic because its spread is poisonous and it is the absolute opposite of influence. I've asked this question in the previous podcast. Would we be better served by a small group of diverse leadership? What if we were made up of packets of leadership? It's just an open question. We have systems and structures and politics in place that make it really challenging to envision something else. But it's almost like a hive mentality of bees, or not a hive mentality, but a various hives and pockets of leadership that would have to work together. Maybe things would take longer, but maybe we'd have a better humanity. So this made me think about what is influence. And sometimes etymology of a word, the history of word is really useful to understand where it's come from, but it doesn't necessarily mean what the word means in its current use today. But I thought it was interesting when I looked it up that its original meanings tend to be a little bit more humanitarian. It's defined as, or historically described as coming from the idea of streaming ethereal power from the stars when in certain positions, acting upon character or destiny of man. Yes, I recognize that's rather old language that's dealing in a patriarchal status quo. No, the destiny of human beings. How about we rewrite it like that? Influence 
So influence in the historical definition seems to have a very spiritual or from the heavens, like inspired almost in a way, I think could be some sort of a synonym with influence. But influence has an effect upon others. And I like this bit about ethereal power from the stars when in certain positions acting upon character or destiny. So right place, right time, right person, right group of people, that's when you could have influence. These things align. And I suppose I'm talking about how we could potentiate this alignment or where we could find the humanity of leadership, which I think exists in the gap, that space between. Like, let's push this idea of the binary farther apart so that we say there are extremes at either end, or rather, let's not even use a linear description of a binary. Let's just look at it as like a nebulous, three-dimensional, multi-dimensional cloud of possibility. If we could influence more people to spend time in this almost meditative space of the gap, of no thinking, of you're about to get angry or you're about to say something, you use the approach of you catch yourself. You're lucky enough just to catch yourself in the moment. You're five, four, three, two, one. And that's all it takes is closing your eyes or just mentally counting down or mouthing the countdown as you think those numbers. Something happens neuroscience-wise in the brain that puts the prefrontal cortex to work that helps override the ancient parts of the brain that want to go into fight or flight or seek comfort or seek belonging. If we as a collective of people could learn, could teach this practice, would we have some of the problems we're facing? Would we have a means to actually connect more and understand that other people have just as much right as we do to exist and share their thoughts, their needs, their opinions, their dreams? Because the longer that we're blinded by the defensiveness of our own ego, and the more we see the world in these rigid binaries of right and wrong, of mine and yours, the more we elevate power and control above a humanitarian leadership. You see, an unchecked ego is the foundation for divisiveness. Me, 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 me. Everything else is outside of me. Everything else could be working to do something against me or take something away from me or hurt me. And Right now, what I see as one of the worst expressions of our ego unchained is this toxic capitalism, this neoliberalism, this idea that human beings are commodities that are meant to be exploited to create wealth for the rich and that the super rich should have the absolute freedom to do what they please. That's not sustainable. That's what's resulting in us over-resourcing the planet of the Amazon forest being burnt down by groups of indigenous tribes in Brazil being hunted down and murdered, causing genocide. And that's not just now. This is what we've done for millennia. These 
men in power and some women who deny climate change. Even when profitable options exist to halt the damage that is currently being done to our planet, are afraid that any change would limit their immediate, their short-term profits. They don't want to invest. They only want to earn more, to take more. And that's ego, because when these ultra-super-rich have that much money, but they're afraid of losing that money and that power, it is nothing but ego. It is nothing but amygdala and ancient brains overriding behaviors taking control of their prefrontal cortex, their ability to think logically and to connect with heart-centered choices like empathy and morality. One wonders historically, and I think it's probably true, that the level of egotistical control may have been first built on survival, survival of the tribe, But over hundreds of years, this morphed into a twisted morality and various ideologies. You know, to use a biblical example, because it's so common, the Israelites needed to expand their numbers, their tribe. So they established a decree to make more babies, which is the origin of thou shalt not lie with another man. They wanted men to have sex with women to procreate, to create more children. This had nothing whatsoever to do with the decree against the universal nature of homosexuality. In the last century, the Nazi party banned abortions for its Aryan citizens to increase the German master race. But they allowed and even promoted abortions for Jewish people because they didn't consider Jewish people human. And if everyone were taught to understand the power is an illusion and a complete disconnect from humanity. The power is egotistical. Would we become more aware of our need to take care of the thing that supports our very lives in the first place, the planet? I've, I've, I've written somewhere else that the planet will take care of itself. It will exist beyond human beings and humanity. We need to change our thinking from fixing the external the planet, to fixing the internal, ourselves, and how we dominate, control, and deplete resources that result and will result in our destruction. And you look at history, and you will see how civilizations have collapsed in the past because we have destroyed the environment. All of this is a lack of behavioral and energetic balance. We must embrace the feminine, the yin, or the diffuse as an act of self-care. Such a change would translate into equal and better treatment of others, animals, the environment, and humanity as a whole. So I question, is the shadow side of leadership primarily what we sometimes call toxic masculinity or misguided masculinity? And this is not to claim that women or other non-cis male genders can't lead in a way that is out of alignment with the core evolutionary humanitarian leadership ideas that I've mentioned in a previous podcast, namely 
Lead as if no one else is watching. So lead yourself first. And give people a better philosophy, a better way to think, more ways to think critically for themselves. So this idea of misguided masculine energy can be used to describe one side of the spectrum that becomes a bundle of toxic behaviors. And at at its worst, misguided masculine energy polarizes people. And these behaviors seek to exclude anyone classified as the other, anyone who is not part of the rigid status quo binary expression of the hegemonic patriarchal social structure. Unique sexual and gendered identities are considered off limits and any freedom of expression is seen as a challenge or a threat to the dominant social order. And I think now, In our current society, we see more people visibly expressing their gender and sexual identity, which calls into question, is that perhaps the reason why there's so much fear of the other that's showing up? I don't know. But when a toxic leader, an autocrat, or a demagogue silences the others in society, essential and unique queer voices, and often our very lives are lost. And the negative energy of this toxic behavior, this misguided masculinity, seeks to recruit rather than lead. Because that energy cannot exist unless there are other people of the same mindset to support it. It does not do well in the face of love and empathy. Now, I don't know if there's an idea around recruitment that may have benefits in some instances, but recruitment as a tool to control is toxic, is not a humanitarian leadership. When the goal of recruitment is to increase one's base of followers, to indoctrinate with an ideology and incite hatred and violence and greed... You don't have an ethical or a humanitarian leadership. Instead, you're left with a despot, a dictator, a zealot, a Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin. If there is no right or freedom of the individual, we have tyranny. Before you go, I need to ask you a favor. If you enjoy listening to the Living Out podcast, Make sure that you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if a particular episode makes you think or change your way of thinking, please tell your friends or share it on social media. Remember, you can always ask me a question or add to the conversation by commenting on the episode blog post at darrensteel.com. And lastly, the intention of this podcast is to help you think differently starting with your own self-examination so that you can harness your uniqueness to create the changes you want to see in the world. Now, sometimes looking inward is the most challenging work we will ever do to take self-responsibility for our choices and actions. But once we know who we are and how we show up best in the world, that's when we can actually have an impact. And if you're struggling to make a difference, or wondering why your difference isn't making a difference in the world, I can help. Now, the best way to experience my coaching is to experience it. So let's book some time and find out what you would like to see happen 
and why that's not happening for you right now. Find out more at darrenstillcom slash coaching. Just go to the work with me tab at the top of the menu. As always, thanks for listening and live proud.